So Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 26. And, and if you need a copy of God's Word, there's one in the seat right below you or in front of you below somebody else. I'm going to pray for us, and then let's go ahead and see what God's Word has to teach us this morning. Be gracious to us, Father. God, you, you are worthy to be praised. And so I just desperately plead with you right now that up to this point in our service, there is a smile on your face because a bunch of sinners have come together to praise your name. And that through reading your word that that we would see what Paul was writing to this anxious church and that we may be able to live a life that is worthy according to your word. And so please, I, I do ask if there are those who are hurting here this morning, you would comfort them. If you have children here who are living in disobedient lives, that your Holy Spirit would be so kind and convict them and bring them to repentance. And if there are those here today that hearts are hard and who are far from you, you would show them that it is only in Christ that they can find hope both in life and in death. Please, Father, Pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. In today's passage, we are taking a look at one of the more famous passages or verses in Philippians. Here we see the verse, the banner of Paul's life, to live is Christ. To die is gain. However, it happens to be a passage that far too often is not contemplated, and it is a text that is far too often taken out of context way too much. This means that this morning what I'm going to call us to is to pay extra and special attention to the details surrounding that verse, I know we should be doing that with every verse, but because this is one that is taken out of context way too much, I want us to very much so pay attention to the specifics around this text. The reason why I, I say this and I want to draw attention is for that fact of we need to be careful. We need to handle God's Word rightly. This isn't to live as Christ, to die as gain, is not just a cool slogan that you put on a t-shirt or a coffee mug to encourage you in the morning. It is the very God-breathed word for us to build us up, to reprove us, to correct us. So in these five and a half verses, Paul is trying to ease the minds of an anxious church. They are writing to him because they know he is in prison. If you've been 
here the last few weeks. We've talked about this. Paul is in prison because of proclaiming the Word of God, proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come. And so Paul has found himself in Rome, chained to Roman soldiers in prison, and the Philippian church is concerned about him, rightfully so. They're concerned that he will not make it out alive. They're concerned about what this means for the church as a whole and the advancement of the kingdom of the God of God, the advancement of the gospel. So up to this point in Paul's writing, we've seen Paul writing as a pastor, comforting a church that is deeply anxious about somebody they love dearly. And what we're going to see this morning is now Paul talk about two realities that are before him. Life and death. One of these realities is a little easier to talk about than the other one. There is a lot of hope in life. We love, as a culture, the gender reveals to find out what the sex of the baby is going to be looking at the little fingers and the little toes just really makes a person just contemplate the reality of life. Some strangely say, I don't get this, but some strangely say that they absolutely love that newborn, that new life smell. Because life means hope. But death is much harder to talk about. In fact, we tend to ignore it for as long as we possibly can. We try to prolong life so we don't have to think about or be confronted with death. And when we are confronted with death, many of us try to distract ourselves from the reality of death. And Paul isn't doing this today. Paul isn't looking at just the positive sides of life and ignoring death. No, he is confronting the reality of both life and death in his life, and he is helping this church think through it for themselves. Now, I'm just going to acknowledge something. If you are younger, this isn't something that's normally on your mind. When you are younger, you 
don't contemplate life as much. And so what I just want to acknowledge right away is being younger, look, there haven't been many times in my life where I've had to acknowledge or confront death as much. And so, with this being said, there are some limitations that I do feel this morning, but I think Paul will help us out regarding our passage regarding death this morning. And so, what Paul is going to teach us, what Paul is going to really teach this church this morning, or uh, thousands of mornings ago, is that in life and death, we can actually have hope in Christ. Both in life and in death, we can have hope in Christ. And he shows us this in three ways. He shows us that hope can't be put to shame. He shows us the reason why hope can't be put to shame. And that's because he knows who he belongs to. And he will show us then how in life, Hope can continue on. All right, so let's start in verses 18b, the, the, the tail end of 18 through 20. We come to this passage, and Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. This is a man who currently is in prison with shackles around his wrists and his ankles to Roman soldiers. And he goes on to say, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now think about that. Through your prayers and the power of the Holy Spirit, I am sure of it. This is going to turn out for my deliverance. Now if we were just coming at this in a very simplistic way, immediately our minds would be drawn to deliverance means he will be set free. because we don't like to think about death. Deliverance means being set free, not death. But Paul goes on to tell us, okay, so, so through your prayers, church, and the help of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. It is Paul's eager hope and expectation that he will be delivered. He's eager of it. He's hopeful of it. Why? So that Christ would be honored. Not only that Christ would be honored, that Paul himself would not be ashamed. But he would have full courage that this deliverance that he would experience would bring hope and courage and it would not put, be put to shame. But instead, it would honor Christ. Now, once again, if we were thinking of this in a very simplistic way, then our minds would be completely drawn to the fact, well, Paul is going to be delivered from prison. But this isn't what Paul says here in the end of this verse. He makes it very clear that it is his eager expectation 
and hope that he will not be put to shame at all, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. Paul is, is eager that whether in life or whether in death, that he would have hope and it would not be put to shame. That he would have courage and that Christ would be honored in his deliverance. Meaning this, that Christ would be honored whether in life or in death. That Paul has hope that Christ would be honored whether he be delivered to live more or delivered and be executed. Sharice and I have been going through the New City Catechism with Haddon, which the New City Catechism is, the for my old um, Lutheran friends here, is just the Heidelberg Catechism taken to a more modern day. Now, if you're a parent here, let me just suggest this. There's an app on your phone. Type in New City Catechism. Doesn't matter if your child's two or 18. If they're in your house, I guess I don't want to say any names, but if they're 25, 26, 27, and <laughs> ready to get married soon, then I guess you still. <laughs> Download this app, buy the resources, and go through it. The first question, the very first question for this catechism is this what is our only hope in life and death or if it's the heidelberg catechism it would be comfort same thing what is our only hope in life and death and if if Haddon were in here he would go we are not our own long to god that we are not our own but belong to god this is what paul is saying right here Paul wrote to the Romans in chapters 14, verses 7 and 8, for a reason. For none of us lives to himself. Nobody lives to himself. And none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. My deliverance in life or death has hope. Christ would be honored. So this is the question that is faced, that we are faced with right now, is where is your hope right now? Where is your hope right now? Your family? Your job? Your health? Your money? Or is it in Christ? You see, this is one of the most important questions that right now we face. Because if our hope is in things like family or jobs or health or money, at some point we will lose them. Family can leave you or disappoint you. You could be fired from your job tomorrow. 
at any moment, you could find out that your health is decaying. And, and really, all health is decaying because every moment you're getting older and every minute you're getting closer to judgment. But your health slowly fades and your money at any moment can be gone. This type of hope in these trivial things will at some point put us to shame if this is where our hope is in. Because what is the common theme in all four of these things? It's at some point in time, you can lose them. But Christ will not disappoint you. His promises are true. Christ has conquered death. And Christ has an imperishable treasure awaiting us in heaven. Jesus Christ is the only constant thing. He does not fade or go back on promises. This is why Paul can say that this hope that he has in Christ will not and cannot put him to shame. It's because Christ is the only constant reality in our lives. And so, then we need to ask the question. This is the next question we need to ask then, is how does Paul see hope in Christ in his life and in his death? If this is the reality that Paul is seeing, is that both in life and in death, he can have hope and it does not put him to shame in Christ. Well, Paul answers this question for us in verses 21 through 24. He sums it up by saying, to live is Christ and to die is Gain. This is how we have hope in Christ. That living is for Christ and dying is not a loss, but instead a gain. We need to be careful because we need to properly understand what Paul is actually saying here. We want to get away from the cliche t-shirts and coffee mugs. We want to handle God's word rightly. So Paul says... For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He then goes on to say, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. So living means fruitful labor. Living equals fruitful labor. What Paul is saying about his life is that if I am delivered and I'm set free from prison, then this deliverance means more fruitful labor for me. So I can have hope in Christ because that means that I can spread the hope of Christ more. We're going to see a little bit later exactly what Paul is going to choose and do here. But then he goes on to say something that is completely beyond sometimes the comprehension of the common man is this, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. What two living and dying? My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far 
better. You see the honesty within Paul's heart right now? Paul's mind is set on things above. Paul's mind is set on the heavenly realm that is before him. To simplify this, we might even say that what Paul is saying is, selfishly, I want to go be with Jesus. I've been in prison. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten and stoned within inches of my life and so much so that they thought I was dead and threw me out of the city. And so selfishly, yeah, I'm ready to go and be with Jesus because that means no more pain, no more toil, no more struggle. But 24, he then says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account, which we will see in a few works in a few weeks, Paul say, do not count your interests more highly than the interests of others. So here Paul is modeling that he's counting the interests of the Philippian church more highly than his own. But the hope that Paul has in death is that he gains Christ. He may lose everything here on earth, but he sees that to die is actually to gain. Now, we might just think that Paul is one of those strange golden retriever friends that's always got an optimistic outlook on life, but that's not Paul. Paul is a very reality-driven man. He is seeing both the hope in life and in death. So here's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Do we see life as an opportunity? Do we see hope in our life as an opportunity to advance the kingdom of God like Paul. That it is much more necessary for us to stay here because the things of God have been revealed to us to take it to others. And we also see that if we were to leave here this morning and get hit by a bus, that, that would be gain. That if we were to be martyred, that our life work because of the gain of the cross is still hopeful. Let me just say this, though. Death is not natural. It's not natural. Death is the chief consequence of sin. And so it is appropriate and right to grieve when there is death. Because of sin, there is physical death, spiritual death, and eternal death. Death is something to be grieved over. And what Paul is saying here is not that he is looking forward to dying, 
but that he sees that even in death, there is redemption in it. Why is that? Because Christ overcame death. Christ overcomes and defeats death itself. He shows this to us that, and yet, while we were still sinners, he dies for us. And not only does he die for us, but he rises for us. And then he ascends, and right now is sitting at the Father's right hand, interceding for us, pleading our case, reminding of the Father of the blood that he spilt for those who confess him as Lord to have participation and gain and life. Isn't this what Paul is reminding the Galatians when he writes to them, saying, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, through your own works, then Christ died for no reason. But Christ did not die for no reason. Christ died to reconcile us sinners back to the Father. And we can find that reconciliation through Christ by faith and repentance. And so Paul doesn't have an optimistic hope in life. He has a sure hope in life and in death that Death itself even has redemptive aspects to it. Paul isn't looking for death, but he is saying, if I were to be delivered and die, there is even hope in that because it would be gain, and I would get to go and be with Jesus. Okay, Paul, what are you doing there? tells us, convinced of this, Paul is sure of this. When you read this or hear this, this should perk up our minds a little bit. Paul is saying he is very convinced about something. He is convinced. There's not many times we read Paul saying convinced of this. Convinced of this I know that I will remain and continue with you all. It's a very encouraging word to the Philippians, I'm sure, that were anxious about whether he was going to live or die. But what is he going to remain and continue with the Philippian church? Progress. Progress. Progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now we could read this as a very selfish thing that Paul is saying, hey look, I'm going to remain alive because it would be better for you. Wouldn't it be crazy if a coach of some sort told his team, I'm out of here, see you later, Hope you can make your progress on your own. 
Paul is telling this church to be with Christ would be far better. But I know that for your progress to grow in joy and faith, I'm going to stay. Why? Not for any selfish reason, Paul is saying here. He's saying so that they would have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Paul is telling this church, I want to see more progress in you. What is the progress? It's joy and, and faith. It's joy and faith. Or we could boil it down to and say, it's hope. It's hope in Christ. Because that hope cannot put us to shame. Now, there's one little connection that I want to make here for us. And it's this word, progress. Progress is gain. So Paul sees that there is much more gain in his life and there is gain in his death, and it's rooted in his hope in Christ because he sees it as an opportunity to make progress, to experience sanctification day by day with this church. This is the life of the Christian, is it not? Each day waking up and making progress. If you were to talk to some of the world's best musicians, they would tell you that they didn't become the world's best musicians just by picking up something, an instrument, and playing it. It was each day them making progress, practicing and doing the little things to make them better. If you are a Christian, do you see your life like Paul? To see the progress in others around you and to spread the gospel. To see that hope in Christ will not put you to shame because the Holy Spirit has been poured into your life. We live with hope to see more progress in Christ. We live with hope to see more progress in joy and faith so that we can have ample cause to glorify Jesus Christ. This is us. Right now, this day.
This is what Paul longed for for this church here is their progress in joy and faith. And it was his hope in Christ that kept him going. Paul knew his work was not in vain. And so that child that you're continuing to pray for, to see the gospel take root in their heart is not in vain. The hope, I want you to to look around right now in this church. Do you see right now your life as one that is to help people in this room to progress in joy and faith? If not, then we have a very individualized idea of what the church is for. This isn't what Paul is talking about here. Paul lived with a hope that would not put him to shame. He firmly believed it. He believed that whether he lived or died, God would receive the glory. If Paul died and was martyred by Nero, his efforts weren't in vain. He would gain Christ. But if Paul stayed and was delivered, then he saw the hope of the gospel, light coming to darkness in the people around him. And so let me ask this question again for us. What is our only hope in life and death? And I hope that you can answer along with me and say that we are not our own, but belong to God. If you're a Christian, what incredible news this is. If not, I'd just like to invite you to seriously contemplate what this means and where you're looking for your hope. And honestly answer the question, is it really bringing you hope? Or will it fail you at some point? Let's pray. God, we praise you. And we ask for a confidence like Paul to be able to come and say, to live as Christ and to die as gain. I want to be with you, but it would be far better for us to stay here and see the darkness invaded by light. Those who are hopeless given hope. God, give us that heart and mind. Thank you so much for your servant, the Apostle Paul, who continues to teach us week by week on what it really means to live for Christ. I pray this in your son Jesus' name.
Amen.